Since 2013, China has been creating artificial islands in the South China Sea and turning them into military bases. It is attempting to solidify its claims to the strategically vital waters of the South China Sea inside the so-called Nine Dash Line. It is doing this for economic, military, and domestic political reasons. The vast majority of China, Japan, and South Korea's natural resources are delivered through the South China Sea, making it perhaps the world's most critically important waterway. And by laying claim to islands in the region and building bases from which to project military power, China is making progress toward its goal of becoming the dominant military power in the region. To some, what China does in far-off Southeast Asia doesn't have anything to do with us, but China's behavior should concern us for several reasons. The integrated waters of the Sea of Japan, the Yellow Sea, and the East China Sea and South China Sea are as vital to the history, identity, and trade of Eastern Asia as the Mediterranean is to Europe. Through its waters pass $5 trillion worth of goods every year. China's claims an island-building campaign flouts international law, and Beijing ignored The Hague's International Court of Arbitration when it ruled against China in 2016. China's actions also demonstrate that Beijing is not the reliable partner that it has claimed to be. In 2015, President Xi Jinping nominally pledged that the islands they were building would be used for civilian purposes. Instead, they have been weaponized, flatly contradicting China's claim of a peaceful rise. Further, by militarizing the islands, Beijing is increasing the chances of regional military conflict, since other nations like the Philippines, Brunei, and Taiwan claim some or all of the islands and waters claimed by China. These militarized islands make it easier for China to intimidate its neighbors in the region. In short, China's expansion into the South China Sea threatens international law and regional stability, potentially holds the global economy at risk, and challenges the long-standing principle of the freedom of navigation that the United States has underwritten since the end of World War II. Unfortunately, when we figured out the extent of their operations, our response was to do very little. We put no pressure on China to halt their development. So, what can the United States do about it now? America needs to recover its appreciation of the strategic importance of Asia's inner seas and rimlands if it is to come up with a realistic strategy to preserve both its power and its influence in the Indo-Pacific region. American power must be commensurate with the commitments it has made. Losing one part of the Asiatic Mediterranean will certainly cause allies and partners in other parts to consider either severing ties with the United States or declaring neutrality so as to preserve their own freedom of action. A hard-earned lesson we learned in the aftermath of World War II was that putting even just a little bit of pressure early on could have changed the calculations of our antagonists and prevented further warfare. Russia's recent invasion of Ukraine should remind us that wars between states are still possible. The better course of action is to keep the Asiatic Mediterranean whole, balanced, and stable. Only then can America be certain that the vital rimlands of Asia will remain free from conflict. This means working even more closely with allies and partners, strengthening the Quad and AUKUS initiatives, and ensuring that the U.S. military maintains a credible force that can respond to any attempts by China to close critical sea lanes or coerce American allies. A clear and credible commitment by the United States to reject China's expansion in the South China Sea will pay dividends in peace later on.
as we look upon this thing and remember, you know, how around this time of year, way back in 1993, I think it was around November, it was definitely before Christmas time, possibly as early as September when we first heard the rumors of China building structures on Mischief Reef off the coast of Palawan. Um, and I remember going down there, we borrowed actually a vehicle uh, from um, the city of Port Princesa and went down and took a look at uh, the Coast Guard station in Kazan, Palawan. And I interviewed some of the Coast Guard people. And in fact, the mayor of Port Princesa was very concerned because we had been seeing more and more reports up in, in the central part of Palawan of Chinese fishing boats engaged in illegal fishing, dynamite and chemical fishing uh, in, in, in those areas. And the presence of the Chinese Navy at that time, way back in 1993, 1994, was relatively new. They had never been there before in that strength and in that numbers. Now it's a completely different thing. They practically control the western coast of Palau, especially south of Puerto Princesa. Um, and in fact, they're encroaching ever more clearly, even on the opposite side of the Palawan Passage, even within sight of land. So the Chinese Coast Guard vessels can be clearly seen moving along the coastlines of Palawan, uh, well beyond international waters. Although they do stay outside the 12 mile limit, but they are within range of the western coast of Palawan and their listening devices, their antennas, their towers and everything. They're all there, and there can only be one purpose for all that kind of towers and radars and uh, listening structures and, and uh, communications equipment. Uh, the only thing that could be possibly tapped for that is a massive listening post for all the areas of the South China Sea, including the Philippines, Malaysia, Brunei, Indonesia, and uh, everything in between, because it's a perfect location practically in the middle of it. So what are they monitoring? What are they listening to? Let's listen to Michael Austin of Policy Ed. Now, I'm not connected with Policy Ed in any way, shape, or form, but I just want you to listen to his discussion. Uh, it's a shame I can't show you the visuals, but I will give you a link in the show notes as to how to get to and watch the video. But the um, purpose, again, of this is, you know, as a blind person, I try and share whatever information is out there for other people who are, well, either visually impaired or unable to visually see things but might want to listen to me so policy ed it's a website on facebook uh, well actually no it's a channel on facebook of a website and the the person doing the briefing's name is michael austin listen to michael hear what he has to say Since 2013, China has been creating artificial islands in the South China Sea and turning them into military bases. It is attempting to solidify its claims to the strategically vital waters of the South China Sea inside the so-called Nine Dash Line. It is doing this for economic, military, and domestic political reasons. The vast majority of China, Japan, and South Korea's natural resources are delivered through the South China Sea, making it perhaps the world's most critically important waterway. And by laying claim to islands in the region and building bases from which to project military power, China is making progress toward its goal of becoming the dominant military power in the region. To some, what China does in far off Southeast Asia doesn't have anything to do with us, but China's behavior should concern us for several reasons. 
The integrated waters of the Sea of Japan, the Yellow Sea, and the East China Sea and South China Sea are as vital to the history, identity, and trade of Eastern Asia as the Mediterranean is to Europe. Through its waters pass $5 trillion worth of goods every year. China's claims an island-building campaign flouts international law, and Beijing ignored The Hague's International Court of Arbitration when it ruled against China in 2016. China's actions also demonstrate that Beijing is not the reliable partner that it has claimed to be. In 2015, President Xi Jinping nominally pledged that the islands they were building would be used for civilian purposes. Instead, they have been weaponized, flatly contradicting China's claim of a peaceful rise. Further, by militarizing the islands, Beijing is increasing the chances of regional military conflict, since other nations like the Philippines, Brunei, and Taiwan claim some or all of the islands and waters claimed by China. These militarized islands make it easier for China to intimidate its neighbors in the region. In short, China's expansion into the South China Sea threatens international law and regional stability, potentially holds the global economy at risk, and challenges the long-standing principle of the freedom of navigation that the United States has underwritten since the end of World War II. Unfortunately, when we figured out the extent of their operations, our response was to do very little. We put no pressure on China to halt their development. So, what can the United States do about it now? America needs to recover its appreciation of the strategic importance of Asia's inner seas and rimlands if it is to come up with a realistic strategy to preserve both its power and its influence in the Indo-Pacific region. American power must be commensurate with the commitments it has made. Losing one part of the Asiatic Mediterranean will certainly cause allies and partners in other parts to consider either severing ties with the United States or declaring neutrality so as to preserve their own freedom of action. A hard-earned lesson we learned in the aftermath of World War II was that putting even just a little bit of pressure early on could have changed the calculations of our antagonists and prevented further warfare. Russia's recent invasion of Ukraine should remind us that wars between states are still possible. The better course of action is to keep the Asiatic Mediterranean whole, balanced, and stable. Only then can America be certain that the vital rimlands of Asia will remain free from conflict. This means working even more closely with allies and partners, strengthening the Quad and AUKUS initiatives, and ensuring that the U.S. military maintains a credible force that can respond to any attempts by China to close critical sea lanes or coerce American allies. A clear and credible commitment by the United States to reject China's expansion in the South China Sea will pay dividends in peace later on. As we look upon this thing and remember, you know, how around this time of year, way back in 1993, I think it was around November, it was definitely before Christmas time, possibly as early as September when we first heard the rumors of China building structures on Mischief Reef off the coast of Palawan. Um, and I remember going down there, we borrowed actually a vehicle uh, from... Um, city of Port Princesa 
and went down and took a look at the, the Coast Guard station in Kazan, Palawan. And I interviewed some of the Coast Guard people. And, and in fact, the mayor of Puerto Princesa was very concerned because we had been seeing more and more reports up in the central part of Palawan of Chinese fishing boats engaged in illegal fishing, dynamite and chemical fishing uh, in, in, in those areas. And the presence of the Chinese Navy at that time, way back in 1993, 1994, was relatively new. They had never been there before in that strength and in that numbers. Now it's a completely different thing. They practically control the western coast of Palau, especially south of Puerto Princesa. Um, and in fact, they're encroaching ever more clearly, even on the opposite side of the Palawan Passage, even within sight of land. So the Chinese Coast Guard vessels can be clearly seen moving along the coastlines of Palawan, uh, well beyond international waters. Although they do stay outside the 12-mile limit, but they are within range of the western coast of Palawan. And their listening devices, their antennas, their towers and everything, they're all there, and there can only be one purpose for all that kind of towers and radars and uh, listening structures and, and uh, communications equipment. Uh, the only thing that could be possibly tapped for that is a massive listening post for all the areas of the South China Sea, including Philippines, Malaysia, Brunei, Indonesia, and uh, everything in between, because it's a perfect location practically in the middle of it. So what are they monitoring? What are they listening to? Let's listen to Michael Austin of Policy Ed. Now, I'm not connected with Policy Ed in any way, shape, or form, but I just want you to listen to his discussion. Uh, it's a shame I can't show you the visuals, but I will give you a link in the show notes as to how to get to and watch the video. But the um, purpose, again, of this is, you know, as a blind person, I try and share whatever information is out there for other people who are, well, either visually impaired or unable to visually see things but might want to listen to me so policy ed it's a website on facebook uh, well actually no it's a channel on facebook of a website and the the person doing the briefing's name is michael austin listen to michael here what he has to say the chinese Communist party wants to dominate the world and one of its first targets is complete control over the South China Sea. China has gradually taken over reefs and shoals in the region, including ones claimed by the Philippines, Vietnam, Indonesia, and several other countries. Back in 2015, Chinese leader Xi Jinping pledged no militarization of those disputed islands. That was while he was on a state visit to the White House. He said the construction activities China is undertaking don't target or impact any country and that China doesn't intend to pursue militarization. But satellite imagery shows just how much the Chinese Communist Party keeps its promises. For example, this is Fiery Cross Reef in 2006, and then in 2022. It's one of the many reefs and shoals and rocks that are part of the Spratly Islands, which are very close to the Philippines. But if you draw your nine-dash line like so, voila! They've belonged to China since ancient times. Images taken from space help expose China's militarization. But now, we're also able to see what's going on close up. That's thanks to Filipino photojournalist Ezra Akayan. 
His photos show how Fiery Cross boasts hangars for fighter jets, bombers, and military transport planes, and has a deep harbor for accommodating warships and ships of the China Coast Guard. See, last month, a Kion flew close to the islands in a plane to take aerial photos. That was a pretty gutsy thing to do, considering how many guns are on those islands. Also, tons of other weapons. Fiery Cross even has a Shanxi KJ-500. It's one of China's airborne early warning and control planes. Here's a close-up of what that kind of plane looks like. Basically, it carries a radar so it can be used to identify enemy planes and missiles during battle. It can also be used for surveillance and intelligence gathering. Speaking of radar, as you can see from this photo of Fiery Cross Reef, the runway is flanked by communications equipment, including a bunch of radar domes. They really love their domes. You can uh, listen to China Uncensored or watch it rather on YouTube. They're also on their own channel online. Uh, Chris Chappell has been producing this. Sometimes I'm at odds with some of the things he says, but sometimes I'm not. I guess he's got to do what he's got to do. He lives in, from what I can tell, Taiwan. I'm not really 100% sure of that, but that appears to be where some of the videos are coming from. And uh, he's probably got to, you know, be on that side of the picture. Otherwise, he won't have dinner from his wife or something. I don't know. But anyway, Chris uh, does his part and uh, covers a lot of what is going on in the world, particularly from the uh, perspective of the PRC. I think he used to be in Hong Kong. I'm not sure if he's still there. I would doubt it based on the type of content he puts out. If he were there, we'd probably not see him anymore. Anyhow, the uh, main point of the story is this uh, trip that was taken by the photographer Ezra. I'm sorry, I forget his last name. You can look at the show notes and see more about it. All the videos are there from uh, China Uncensored. And uh, some very good renderings and uh, showing of what happened. Remember, when I used to go out to these places, there were no islands. It was water and a reef. And it just doesn't look the same. It, it really, really physically, you know, worries me when I see this, considering how many relatives I have living on Palawan itself, nieces, nephews, cousins, their cousins, who are like my own family as well. And uh, aunts and uncles that they have that, that are you know, very close to me, uh, very close to my late mother and father, and and uh, people you know I grew to love. I have uh, immediate family on the island as well. I'm not going to go into that too much because I don't want the Chinese to know. But uh, basically, the the whole issue with this topic is everything points to these islands have a military purpose. And they're next to an island I grew up on, and the purpose does not look good. So, to those who live on Palawan, be strong, because whatever is happening seems to be moving forward at a very rapid pace, and it is actually disconcerting, very much so. But what is happening there is also happening in other parts of the world where China is entering into, and their militarization and movements in those means. Are moving forward at a very rapid pace, but underneath those islands, again, the question remains: How much toxic waste was buried from industries in China? We don't know. And in fact, the fish supply in the South China Sea has gone down since those islands have been constructed. 
we don't know what's really happening here. But we will continue to check and find out. I'm Mike in New York. That's my episode looking a little bit back and a little bit forward. It is the 2nd of November in New York City, where I'm producing this report. Parts of this report are from an old podcast that just disappeared from my production schedule and uh, put together with some new updates and information. Also on this podcast is a video that is converted to audio from uh, Policy Ed, an education and information podcast that uh, has Michael Austin on it. And I will also put references and notes to where Michael Austin's work can be found. I'm Mike of New York. Have a great day. God bless you. God bless all of us. And God bless the United States of America. And of course, God bless the Philippines. Buen provecho. Magandang araw po sa kanilang lahat.